You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 1, we saw last week the title of the book. You say, well, why is the title important? Because this title tells you what the book is about. It is a revealing. The book of Revelation is an unveiling. You say, well, there's some things in Revelation that I don't understand. Yeah, me too. But if we didn't have the book of Revelation, could I tell you, we would really be in trouble. We would really be in the dark. As a matter of fact, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament has so many prophecies but without revelation, we would not be able to unlock those prophecies. And God gave us this final book as a reminder that Jesus Christ is still on the throne and Jesus Christ is coming back. Don't get worried. Don't get nervous. Don't get scared when you look around at what's going on. Because in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we're all going to be out of here and we will be with the Lord forever. So that's the title. It's the unveiling. Number two, we saw last week the theme of the book. This book is all about Jesus. This book is not about the Antichrist. It's not about the devil. It's not about the tribulation. It's not about all the bad things that are going to happen. This book is all about Jesus. Verse one, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. And I'm glad this book tells us all about Jesus. Then number three, we saw last week, and this is where we left off, the title of the author. Now, you know, sometimes as Christians, sometimes the longer we're saved, uh, the more we've, we, we say, the more we've accomplished. Well, the truth is we haven't accomplished anything. Anything good we've done is all because of God. But the Apostle John, if anybody had reason to boast, I'd say it was the Apostle John. He was the last remaining of the apostles, the last living. The Apostle John was the one who was there uh, leaning on Jesus' breast there at the Last Supper. He was the one that was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote the Gospel of John. He gave us 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And now he gives us revelation. And God shows him all of these amazing things and here's what John says about himself. He says, I am just a servant. That's his title. That's the title he gives to himself. Can I tell you, that'd be a great title for every one of us to take home with us tonight to say we're just servants. We're just servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And by the way, what a privilege it is to be a servant of God. Verse number one, whom he, uh, 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 to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. That's the title of the author. Number four, we'll jump right in tonight. I want you to see John's target audience. Who is this book written Two, primarily. Well, obviously it's written to Christians. It's written to believers. Uh, an unsaved person is going to have a hard time understanding this book uh, because an unsaved person does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the author of this book and the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. But John writes this book. Notice with me, if you would, verse four. He says to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before, before the throne. Verse number 11. 
saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. There's seven churches that this book was written to. And by the way, there were seven distinct letters to each of those churches. We'll look at those here in the weeks to come. But the target audience that John is writing to is the church. Can I tell you the church at the time of John's writing, the church was experiencing intense persecution. Now, I want to let you know that the church's persecution in John's day it was from the outside and it was also from the inside. They were getting hammered from both sides. And John is writing to the church to let them know that although they are experiencing persecution, God has not forgotten about them. God has not abandoned them. God has not, uh, God has not lost sight of where his church is. And he writes to the churches. There were in the churches, there were heresies. And by the way, it's so important for God's people to know what the Bible says so that you can identify heresy when you see it. How many of you know that just because a book says Christian on it, that doesn't necessarily mean it is doctrinally sound. Just because someone stands up and says, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, or I'm an evangelist, or I'm a Bible teacher, that doesn't mean everything that they speak is automatically true. You say, well, how do we know? Well, you test everything that someone says by what does the Bible say. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he was talking about the believers at Berea, and he was talking about the fact that they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. And you have a responsibility as a Christian. Don't just take my word for it. Now, I hope you trust me, and I hope you have confidence in me, but... What happens if you put your confidence in a man and a man gets, uh, gets wayward or a man gets off track? Well, you're in trouble. You got to get grounded to the Bible. You've got to know what the Bible says and you've got to say, I believe this, not just because the church believes it, not just because the pastor said it, but I believe it because the Bible says it. And so John is writing to the churches. I think this is a reminder to us that the church is important to God. I want to tell you, and that has not changed. Jesus Christ still loves the church. He gave himself for the church. The church is important. I believe the church is the answer for this world. I believe that the church is the answer for revival. I believe the church is the answer. Isn't it amazing, Brother Justin, even in your ministry and where you're going to try to raise support and get people to pray and get people involved? Uh, you, you're not going to Walmart although you might find somebody at Walmart that might get on board. Uh, you're not going to the grocery store. You're not going to the, the, you know, the, the, the golf clubs. You're not going to the Little League, and I'm not against those things. But can I tell you, the church is God's plan, and the church is the answer. John writes to the churches. It's interesting that God was speaking to his churches in Revelation chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and God is still today speaking to his churches. Do you know God's got a message for Victory Baptist Church tonight? I tell you, I'm glad I'm here tonight. I've already been encouraged. I've already been challenged to hear about this ministry to the prisons in the United States of America. John wrote to seven churches. 
It's interesting, the Apostle Paul wrote to seven churches, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, and the church at Thessalonica. Number, that number seven is the number of completion. We see that John writes to the churches in verse number four, and I want you to know the first words he speaks as he writes to the churches. You ready for this? Verse number four, to the seven churches which are in Asia, what's the next word? Grace. Did you know we still need that today? We still need God's grace. We still need that unmerited favor. We still need that blessing. We still need that comfort. We still need that grace today. Grace be unto you, he says, and what's the next word? Peace. And I tell you, we need God's peace in our churches. We need God's peace in our homes. We need God's peace in our hearts. And he writes to the churches and says, yes, you're going through some tribulation and yes, you're going through some hard times, but you can experience God's grace and you can experience God's peace. No matter what's going on around you, you can still be recipients of God's grace and God's peace. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul used those two words as he ended the book of Romans and just about all of the epistles that Paul wrote, he either started uh, and ended or started or ended, but he used those words, grace and peace to you because it's a reminder that we have grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, God's given us grace. I think we ought to extend grace to others. God's given us peace. I think we ought to extend peace to others. Sometimes we get God's grace and peace and then we go out and we make everybody else's life miserable. That's not the way a Christian ought to be. We ought to extend that grace and extend that peace to others. Philippians 4, 7, the Bible says, "In the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. May we experience that peace. Isaiah 26, 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. I want to remind you tonight that we can experience peace no matter what's going on in this world, no matter what problems you're facing, no matter what difficulties you're facing. You say, but you don't know my family member. You don't know my coworker. You don't know my next door neighbor. You don't know, I, you're right, I don't. But I know the God of all peace. And I know that God can give peace in your life if you will receive that peace today. Verse number nine, here's a reminder. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. John says, I know something about problems. I know something about tribulation. I know something about hardships. But John says, but let me tell you about a God who is faithful through every tribulation, a God who is faithful through every problem. We see the target audience that John writes to. It's the seven churches in Asia Minor. Number five, as we're going through Revelation chapter one, I want you to see number five. I want you to see a reference here. And this is, to me, this is so powerful because you find it all through the Bible. You find it from Genesis to Revelation. But sometimes we just, we just take it for granted. Sometimes we just overlook it. But I want you to see number five in Revelation one. We see the reference to the Trinity. Would you notice with me in verse number four, John is writing, which we already have in verse number one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's the Son, which God, that's the Father, gave unto him. And then we get to verse four and it says, 
from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven, what's that next word? Spirits, which are before his throne. Now, it says the seven spirits, capital letter S, and we know there are not seven Holy Spirits, right? We know there's only one Holy Spirit. We know there's only one God. There are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So what is this seven spirits all about? First of all, don't get spooky on me. Uh, don't, uh, don't have bad dreams tonight. Like my, one of my daughters woke me up last night. She was having some bad dreams or whatever. Don't get spooked out here. But the seven spirits, that is an indication. I love this. That is an indication that the Holy Spirit was working in all seven churches at the same time. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit, we don't have to get him on a schedule and say, now, Holy Spirit, we're going to need you on the third Sunday in August if you could show up here, but I know you got a full schedule. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit can show up every time we meet? Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit does house calls? Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit can work in your life? You know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells inside of you if you've been saved. And the Holy Spirit is available and the Holy Spirit is at work in all of the churches. But we see a reference to the Trinity. I, I was been a few weeks ago, but I showed you in Genesis 1 where you see uh, uh, in, uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. There's Jesus uh, in creation. We saw that. We see it here in the book of Revelation. We saw it in the baptism of Jesus. We saw the Trinity present. Remember, Jesus was being baptized. There was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit of God descended like a dove at that time. I'm thankful for the doctrine, not the theory, not, not the concoction, not the idea that we came up with, but I'm thankful for the Bible doctrine that we have of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 28. I, I, had, not, I had seen this before, but I had not quite seen it like this until a couple weeks ago. I was uh, preparing for this, and I was just looking at some references to the Trinity. I thought this was so good. Matthew 28. And I know somebody's going to come up to me after church and say, well, pastor, we've always known that was there. What took you so long? Well, I don't know what took me so long, but uh, I got it now. Matthew 28, it says, verse number 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the, what's the next word? The name. Notice it doesn't say in the names. It doesn't say, now you need to baptize in these three different names of these three different people. It says baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I am so thankful for the Father that we have our Heavenly Father. I'm so thankful that the Father was willing to send the Son, Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to die on the cross in your place? And aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit of God that is alive and well, and the Holy Spirit of God that works, and the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us? 
But we see it in Revelation chapter 1. We see the Trinity. We see God, one God, three persons, coexistent, co-equal, co-eternal. I've heard some people say, well, the Holy Spirit is just a force. It's just the, the power of God, but it's not really God. Well, let me give you a verse. How about Ephesians 4 and verse 30? The Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I gave you some other verses, but for sake of time, I'll give you that one. Did you know that you can't hurt a force? If I looked up at these light bulbs and said, I hate this electricity, that electricity would not be grieved by me saying that, right? But a person could be grieved. A person could experience those feelings. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit of God is a person. How about this? I'll give you one more. I told you I want to give you one more. Acts chapter 5. You find the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story where everybody was selling all their goods, and so Ananias and Sapphira, they went and sold a piece of property, and they came and they brought the money uh, to the disciples there, Acts chapter 5, and they laid it down at the apostles' feet, and here's the problem. They said, here is the money, we sold the property, and we are bringing all of the money from the property that we sold. Well, that wasn't true. They were bringing some of the money, but not all the money. Well, here's what Peter said. He said, you just made a mistake, Ananias. He said, you just lied to the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, you can't lie to a force, but you can lie to a person. And he said, you have not only lied to the Holy Spirit, he said, but let me just tell you what you've done in lying to the Holy Spirit. He said, you have lied unto God. And so we see in Revelation 1, we see the Holy Spirit of God at work in the seven churches in Asia, the, the seven spirits to the seven churches. We see number six, very quick. I'll just give you, I won't even get through this, but I'll start on this just because I'm so excited about it. Verse number 10, John is writing. And he says in verse number 10, I was in the spirit. Now again, that's capital S. We're talking about being filled and indwelled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I was in the Spirit. On which day? Oh, on the Lord's day. Now, I think you ought to be filled with the Spirit every day. But let me just tell you, it sure is a whole lot better when you come to church on Sunday, which is the Lord's day. We'll talk about that more. I guess it won't be next week because of kids' crusade. But we'll talk more about that. But John says, I was already in the Spirit on the Lord's Day before anything ever happened. Here's my challenge for you for Sunday. By the way, Sunday's coming, right? Just got a couple more days and Sunday will be here. And I can hardly wait for Sunday. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful this Sunday if we showed up for church and we were already fired up before we ever got here? Wouldn't it be great if we were already prayed up? Wouldn't it be great if we already had walked with God and already spent some time in prayer and already spent some time in the Bible that when we walked into church, we weren't looking for somebody to take out our frustration on, but we were looking for somebody to be a blessing to? Wouldn't it be great this Sunday when Brother Nathan starts leading the song? And wouldn't it be great if it doesn't take us three or four verses to get warmed up? But we come to church and we say, I've already been singing this morning. 
I've already been praising the Lord this morning. I'm already in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I tell you this, I think we'd get a whole lot more out of church if we'd come in the Spirit. I think we'd be a whole lot more of a blessing if we'd come in the Spirit on Sunday. I think we'd be a whole lot more faithful to Sunday and to church and to the Lord's day if we'd already be in the Spirit. I know we'd praise more. I know we'd pray more. I know we would serve more. I think we'd even give more. I think God's people would not just say, am I going to tithe or not? I think that would be settled if you're already in the spirit. <laughs> I think you'd be tithing. I think you'd be saying, I want to give more. I want to do more. I want to show God my love. I want to show God my gratitude for all that he's done for me. But John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day we find in the New Testament, that was Sunday. You say, why is Sunday so important? Well, it seems like there was something pretty important that happened on a Sunday. See, Jesus had been crucified. He'd been buried. He was in that tomb. But on the first day of the week, Mary and those other ladies, they came to the tomb expecting to just anoint the body of Jesus since, uh, since he was already dead. But boy, were they in for a surprise on that Sunday morning when the stone was already rolled away and Jesus Christ was risen again. Can I tell you, every Sunday ought to be a celebration. Every Sunday ought to be a day of victory for the child of God because it was on the Lord's day. It was on Sunday that Jesus Christ rose again. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.